Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 18th of December 2011, entitled, What Are You Waiting For? And the Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Here's Brother Carl Booth. Now, I'm going to start with a poem. I'm not a big lover of poetry. Uh, I have difficulty stringing words together at the best of times, but this is quite a deep and meaningful poem, so I thought I'd read this, read this to you, if I can get it right. Hickory dickory dock, the preacher watched the clock. The clock struck one, he carried on, hickory dickory dock. Hickory dickory dock, the preacher forgot the clock. The clock struck two, he wasn't through, hickory dickory dock. Hickory dickory dock. The people watched the clock. The clock struck three. He still felt free. Hickory dickory dock. Hickory dickory dock. The deacon watched the clock. The clock struck four. They still had more. Hickory dickory dock. Hickory dickory dock. The deacon stopped the clock. But he couldn't stop the preacher. (laughs) That's my long-winded way of saying I'm going to be brief. Right, uh... At this time of year, we're looking at the birth of Christ. And if you look back in the Old Testament, it's, it's a foretold thing. It's a prophesied thing. So we're looking at waiting today. Israel was waiting for the Messiah. Um, we look at the birth of Christ. We've read all the different things. And we see perhaps a, a small child being born. But they were waiting for a Messiah, a Savior. They were waiting to... At that point, actually, a lot of them were waiting to be free from the Romans who had taken over most of the known world, and they were subjugated to the Romans. But most of all, there were some people who were looking for a Messiah, the person that would come, that would be the one last sacrifice, the true sacrifice, so that people could be restored to, to the Lord, to God, that they could have peace with God that they could be forgiven and that they could receive salvation. Uh, scripture reading today, or the scripture reading I've, told, uh, after I've chosen, is Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. Now, these days, the word wait is often seen as being negative, isn't it? You know, we've got instant downloads on our computers, instant messages in. Uh, you, were, you mentioned the word wait, people think of being in queues. Now, I'm not a patient man. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not a patient man. I, there has been times in the past where I've got a load of shopping, got in a queue, and it's gone on so long, and I've just left it in the shop and just gone out because I just cannot stand waiting. And often we get the wrong idea of the word wait. Um, it's often seen as a negative thing. It's hanging around. It's waiting at the doctors. It's waiting for a bus. It, it's not a positive thing. But the word wait here in this scripture adds a totally different meaning. In the original, now my pronunciation of Hebrew won't be very good, but I'll give it a go. The original meaning of the word wait as it's written in this scripture is how vow. And it means to bind together, to be twisted together like a twine or entwined, to expect, to gather together, to look, 
patiently tarry, wait for, on, upon. That's a bit, that's a bit of a different meaning to hanging around, isn't it? And that's how Christian lives should be. As born-again Christians, we say we often use the word wait as, a, as, as doing nothing. But that's not what God calls us to do as Christians. He, it's we're to be bound together with him. We often use the term to embrace change or to embrace something. Now, that could be a physical embrace. It can be a emotional embrace. It could be a psychological embrace. But we're to embrace God as Christians. We're to embrace his ways, his thoughts, his laws, his commands, his scripture. Um, and sometimes... Oh, guess we're waiting now. We're waiting for his second coming. We're waiting for his return. And as Christians, we can wait expectantly, hopefully, and we can wait joyfully because we're saved. What it doesn't mean is that we polish pews and we don't get involved. You know, we've, we have the term used, fire insurance. People seem to get saved and that's it. But the Lord has certainly been talking to me about inactivity. Now, that doesn't mean to say that when you're asked to do something, every time it's you that should be doing it because people have different roles within the church. But uh, as we were, uh, the Lord taught me very soon on after coming back to the Lord after a long time of being away, that the first thing we should ask in the mornings is, what would you have me to do? You know, we get so bogged down with worries and fears well, look at now, the, the country seems to be falling to pieces, Europe seems to be falling to pieces, the economy seems to be falling to pieces, but he tells us to keep our eyes upon him, to wait upon him, to be embraced by him, to embrace him, to embrace his, his laws and his love and everything that he is to us and does for us. Not to then look at the world, look at the problems, the things that are happening around us. If we were to look at them totally, we'd just be completely downhearted and depressed. But he is above all circumstances and he is in charge. So we are to embrace him, to wait upon him, to, to, to see this word as being a positive thing. It's not, hanging, it's not hanging around, well, I'll get on with it. I'll just need a big miracle for, it to, for me to get started. It's not about that. It's about getting involved and waiting on the Lord. Um, and also if we look... Into the New Testament, Jesus expands on this. He expands on it in John 15. Um, and it's a well-known text, but I'll read it to you. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, very important few words, ye can do nothing. So the Lord Jesus there is expanding on Isaiah, really. He's expanding on this theme of waiting, being embraced, entwined with 
you cannot have a branch growing on a tree that isn't connected to it. It'll drop off and it'll die. And the lifeblood of the tree is the lifeblood of the branch. And as Christians, our lifeblood is Christ. And I'd just like to carry on expanding on this theme of waiting. What I'd like to add to that really, this being bound to God, is that when you think about it, everything outside of God's word, everything outside of God's word, and this may seem a little harsh, is designed to destroy your trust in God. You've only got to watch television. And I'm not saying don't watch television. I'm not here to tell people what to do in that respect. That's between you and God. But certain things I've seen on TV lately, certain the, the attitude towards Christians, the attitude towards creation, the attitude now of, of you being a Christian is like you're mentally ill. You know, you need help. If you really believe that, you need help. Even there was a vicar, S on the TV the other night, was talking about creation. She said, well, we're not supposed to take this literally. It's about something. It's, 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 it's nice thoughts. It's about love. What an idiot. What an absolute idiot. And what a disgrace. Someone who's supposed to be representing our Lord telling you that this is not true. It's general. Make of it what you will. It's just important that we love each other. Well... If it wasn't important, it wouldn't have survived. If it wasn't important, we're wasting our time. We're just polishing pews, turning up to do something nice on a Sunday. But I can tell you that it is important. I can tell you it's his word and it's his commands. And I repeat, anything outside of his word, his laws, his commands, his love, is there to destroy your trust in him. It's simple. It's not always pleasant, but it's simple and it's true. You know, we can become so distractive with our problems. I become, I, listen, I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you. If you can call this a sermon, I'm certainly preaching to me. I've had to learn this. I've had to learn it this morning. You know, I got up at seven o'clock this morning thinking, great, I ain't going to get on with this. Well, first of all, the heating didn't work. I couldn't get the shower to work. I've got a bit of a problem with the diverter valve, boring but true. So if you get the water hot enough to heat the rooms, it doesn't heat the water in the shower. So then you have to turn the heating off and let it calm down a bit so that you can put the shower on. So the first thing that didn't go to plan this morning, and then many other things, and we went to pick dear sister Rolder up and went to put the wheelchair in the back of the car and the central lock had decided it was frozen and didn't fancy being up this early on a Sunday morning so we couldn't get the wheelchair in the back of the car. You know, there's, I, I, it was funny because, well, I was reminded of it because uh, Amber had written, very kindly written a, a Christmas card to me in Rifka, and one of the things it had actually reminded me, it had said, you know, when you do the Lord's Word, often these things will come to try and test you and, and try you. And, and I, I just remembered that, those words that she wrote this morning. I thought, yeah, it's right. It's no good me waiting for things to be perfect. You know, you just have to get on with it. If you've been asked to do it, do it. Um, and then uh, an area I want to deal with is don't wait for others to be perfect or yourselves, okay? And a little bit of scripture just to back that up, and I'll explain what I'm talking about so you don't think I've completely lost it. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power, of the power may be of God, not of us. You know, sometimes we... 
we kind of look at other people and what they're doing, you know. We look at past and you think, well, he did his job a little bit better. I could be a better Christian, you know. You might look at your Sunday school teaching and thought, if they were perfect, I'd be a better Christian. Um, you may look at others and think, well, if only they didn't do this, if only they didn't do that. But God doesn't ask us to wait for perfection. He doesn't ask us to wait on each other. He asks us to wait on him and to get on with our own business with him. And it's no good waiting for yourself to be perfect. If I was waiting to be the perfect preacher, I'd never get up and say anything because if you see the mess I'm in when I'm trying to prepare, ask Riff because she'll say, the mess I get in trying to prepare, now that, whether that's my dyslexia, I don't know, but I, I, I kind of know what God wants me to say. I try to put it on a piece of paper and I look at it and I go, what on earth is that? I don't recognize that. You know, I'm looking at it now and thinks, and, you know, I find it very difficult. If, but then it says in the scripture that he, he uses that. We're earthen vessels. And if you know what an earthen vessel is, it's not pretty. It's just made out of bits of clay and bits of brick. And I've made a bit, I've done a bit of pottery in the past. And the earthen style of it, it's got grit, it's got stones in it. It's the cheapest clay you can get. But only goes to show God's glory. If we were so wonderful and marvelous at everything, people would be looking at us, not God. And, you know, don't expect your pastor to be perfect. If you want him to be perfect, expect yourself to be perfect. You know, people often say, well, I couldn't, I, if, if there was such a thing as a perfect church, I wouldn't be able to be a member because I'm so imperfect myself. And we, we say that, but we think we're pretty good, really. You know, we think we're pretty good. But we're not perfect. Our pastor's not perfect. Our deacons are not perfect. Our Sunday school teachers are not perfect. But they're perfect in Christ. He's perfecting us. He's maturing us. But we shouldn't use that as an excuse not to get on with things and not to, to, to embrace God, to wait upon God. And a lot, a lot of things people tend to get wrong, and I've kind of heard this said, is that God won't ever ask me to do anything that I cannot do. That's not true. He asks you to do something you can't do every day of your life. He calls you to be a Christian. Well, you can't do it. You can't do that in yourself. Go back to the, the I am the true vine, and it says... Without me, you can do nothing. God does ask us to do things that we can't do, but he always empowers us to be able to do them. He won't ask you to do something that he won't enable you to do. I mean, I'm here preaching this morning, such as it is, you know, I can't do this naturally. I, can't, I, I find it quite, ner well, very nerve-wracking. And he will ask you to think, every day he asks you to do things that you cannot do of yourself. And again, it goes back to the earthen vessel to show his glory, to show what he can do with the weakest and weakest of things, feeble human beings who can't make one step without making a mistake in their own strength. And then the next thing is don't make God wait. Don't make God wait. Moses was called by God to lead the children in Israel out of Egypt, wasn't he? Now, I don't know if you know the story, but he, the, he, was, he, he came to Moses in the burning bush. Moses was walking past. He saw the bush burning. And suddenly realized there was fire, and the bush actually wasn't being consumed or wasn't on fire. It wasn't destroying the wood of the bush. So he thought, well, I'd better go and have a look at that. So he strolls over, and he has a look, and God reminds him that he's, he's God, that he's on holy ground. Take his shoes off, come closer. He goes to the whole plan of what he wants Moses to do. I want you to go to it. I want you to do this. I want you to bring them out to it. And I will provide this. I will provide that. 
And he goes, if you read it, it's, it's, it's a large section of the Bible. He, he puts the plan in place for Moses. He tells him exactly what he's going to do. Don't worry about it. It's all in my control. I'm using you. Yes, you're a weak vessel, but I'm God. It's going to be fine. Then Moses starts. His first response is, but. But. And Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And then again, and again, the Lord reassures him. And in the end, it says, and the Lord became wrath. He was angry with Moses because he'd explained everything to Moses. He'd said he was going to do it. And yet Moses kept giving excuses and excuses and excuses. When we look at that, we think, oh, silly Moses. He had all this explained to him. Why couldn't he just get on with it? And yet we do it every day. Lord's asked us to do something, and we think, well, I'd like to, but I would if, I, if only, if only the pastor was better at his job, if only the deacons were better at his job, if only it wasn't raining, if only. We, you know, one of the biggest reasons why the church is so inactive today is because our butts are too big. Every time he asks us something to do, we say, but. So it is, it's wrong. It's not wrong to ask God to say, give me the strength but we should never make God wait. We should never make God wait. If he's asking you to do something, he's not asking you to do it to make you feel uncomfortable. He's asking you to do it because that's what he wants you to do, and he will enable you to do it. And then don't wait for a trouble-free life because you'll be waiting a long time, a very long time. And it's in Acts 16, to 25, and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded them to, be, to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into a prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Steve preached on this a while ago. Now, I don't know if you've ever received a bit of a beating in your life. I, I got a good beating at school once by a gang of kids, and I didn't feel too happy about it. I didn't feel like praising anybody. I got lumps and bumps everywhere. I felt very sorry for myself. And yet Paul and Silas were praying and praising the Lord. And it says there were to, it says in the scriptures to keep them safely. That doesn't mean to say put them in a nice bed, give them a nice cu- warm cup of cocoa to go to bed, keep them safely. What he meant was don't let them out because they had more in store for Paul and Cyrus. The beating was only the prelude to what was going to happen next. So if you're waiting for your life to be trouble-free before you can serve the Lord, you'll wait a long time. Lives aren't, you know, I think sometimes we give our young people and children the wrong impression of Christianity, that becoming a Christian, suddenly everything's perfect. It's not. You know, troubles will come along, but those troubles teach us how good and strong our God is. Now, Paul, if that had been me in that prison, I hate to think what my attitude would have been. Beaten, bleeding. Many stripes doesn't mean someone painted some lines on them. They were wet, beaten, probably with an inch of their lives, you know. They would have beaten badly. And they were put in stocks in a dirty, smelly, rotting prison. And I just wonder what my attitude would have been. Lord, I went out into that marketplace. I preached your word. 
I cast out demons. I did the things you wanted me to do. Now look what you've done. I'm beaten up. Where were you when I, when I needed you? Now that probably would be our attitude. You know, and I often think what Paul would have thought as well, because if you remember, Paul was a persecutor before he came. Paul, he was Saul. He held the clothes while they stoned Stephen to death. So he kind of knew it from both sides, didn't he? He knew what it was like to persecute people, and he knew what it was like to be persecuted. But they sang songs and praised the Lord, and we know the result of that, that a family, a man and his family, his old household, were born again because of their obedience to God, because they didn't question God's authority in this situation. Now, when troubles come along, you need that authority of God over you. You need to know that God is in charge. Things don't happen by mistake. And then I would like to, the last point, is don't wait any longer. If you're not, if you don't know for sure that you're a born-again Christian, that at some point in your life God convicted you of being a sinner and you asked him for forgiveness and he forgave you and he now lives in your heart and you know he does, not just because the scripture tells you, but because you know he does, because you know that feeling, you know what you were and you know what you are, then don't wait any longer. You don't know what comes next. Now, our dear friend Brian lost his son not so long, not even a year ago today. He was 17 years of age. Now, luckily, he was a born-again Christian, but he left that church, and within five or ten minutes, his life had gone. Now, why do we encourage non-Christians to become Christians? Because it's good for us, because it makes us feel good, because it makes us feel holier than thou? No. Because we know the consequences of not knowing the Lord as your saviour. Now, this is probably not a very nice and polite thing to say, on a day when we're here, maybe to share together, to have a meal together, but the wages of sin is dead. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I'm afraid you're going to hell. And the reason we're so urgent about telling you this is because we don't want you to go to hell and because we've been forgiven. We have that forgiveness. We have this marvelous gift. Danny spoke last week about this gift, the gift of God coming to earth. He gave his son to become a child, a weak, fragile human being. He lived a life, blameless life, so he could then die a terrible death so you could receive a gift of forgiveness so that you could be a son of God or a daughter of God. So that's the urgency. It's not making you want to feel bad. It's the urgency is you need to know Jesus as your saviour today you don't know what's going to happen when you walk out those doors. You just don't know. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Romans 2, 3, 16 reminds us of what state we're in before we become a Christian. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. A lot of people will tell you these days, it doesn't matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter. It all leads to one place. All roads lead to Rome. 
not what it says there, is it? The only way is through Jesus Christ. I'm afraid, going back to what I said at the beginning, if it's not in here, if it's not taught in here, it's there to destroy you. And all other religions are there to destroy you, to distract you from the truth that you need Jesus Christ in your life. When I became a Christian when I was a child, and then as I grew up, I decided I didn't want anything to do with it. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I tried everything, drugs, drink, all the other things, which I won't go into listing now. Many, many things. I think of it like a bunch of keys. I don't know if you've ever had a job or been given responsibility and someone says, the key you want is this one, and it's on a bunch of keys this big. And you, you kind of want to be polite, so you don't want to keep asking, is it this one, is it this one, is it this one? You're, you're distracted. You don't pay attention. So it comes to the time when you need to find the key to open the door, and you can't. You have to go through this, and I think that's what people do a lot of times. They try all these different routes, but there is only one key, and there is only one true vine, and there is only one saviour. You can try many, many things in your life to distract you, to make you feel better. It might be drugs, it might be drink. And don't be fooled. These things do give you pleasure for a season, as the Bible says. And eventually, hopefully, you'll find the right key. But this is the right key today. The right key is salvation. The right key is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him today... The good news is you can. It's not complicated. Won't need a degree. Good job. I'd never get one. Never. Know, you don't need a degree. You don't need to be a maths, master of science or anything. It's very simple steps. And if the Lord has spoken to you today, has spoken to your heart about becoming a Christian, come and see me, come and see Steve. I'll gladly show you in very simple terms what the Bible says about it. And we can pray together. And you can come to know the Lord Saviour as Saviour. One thing I'd like to go back and just refresh on is this thing of saying but to God. We start off saying but to him as a Christian. That then becomes maybe later, and eventually it becomes no. No, I won't. And the next thing you'll find, you're wallowing around in filth, eating pigs well, like the prodigal son. But the good news is, as you read on in the prodigal son, he said, well, what can I do? That's how I feel today. I feel that I'm not close to God. I feel that I'm wallowing around in filth, eating pigs. Well, well it's very simple, isn't it, really? It's not complicated. You turn to God, you turn away from the filth, and you walk towards him. And like the prodigal son, his father ran out to meet him, washed him clean, accepted him back, put him back in a position of trust, and loved him. And... He returned to this position of waiting upon the Lord. So wherever you are today, as a Christian, maybe as a Christian where you feel that you're not close to God or you're not a Christian, it is a very simple thing to become close to God. Just, to, just call out to him. Just call out to him. Don't wait in that sense of waiting, but wait on upon him. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.